Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Come on, let's go. In fact, very few of Very few of us here are actually mentally ill. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill. For all I know, you're crazy as a loon. But that's not why you're here. That's not why you're here. It's not why you're here. Welcome to Conversations About Collaboration, Episode 5. Today, Dory Clark joins me to talk about collaboration and the different hats that she wears. We discuss how, when it comes to collaboration, one size never fits all. We also delve into higher education, into the unspoken norms and power dynamics that take place when people collaborate. Come on! Dory, where does this pod find you? Hey, Phil, so good to be talking with you. I'm coming to you from New York City. How's it going over there? Crazy? Things in New York are actually relatively calm, I think, especially compared to the rest of the world. So I'm keeping keeping my fingers crossed that uh, that it remains a relatively tranquil oasis for the time being. Hmm. Let's get right into it. You, as much as anyone I know, wear a bunch of different hats. Right, you teach, you write, you consult, you speak, you are doing Broadway stuff. Um, so you're not dealing consistently with one group of people and using one tool. And I know that you and I are not the only two people on the planet Earth who have to deal with that type of thing. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the the challenges in dealing with so many groups that have so many different technologies and social norms. Yeah, absolutely. So it's true. Um, I for for tools like. Slack, let's say, um, I think those work splendidly for organizations where the same people are talking to each other all the time or the same group is talking to each other all the time. But it is a little bit more dispersed because I am uh, connecting on a, a regular basis with lots of people who are touching each other just lightly enough that we don't necessarily have shared processes or shared norms for how to do it. So what I try to do, I I still, you know, I kick it old school. I use email as my primary way that I communicate with people and I still manage my own inbox. But I also try to at least have a net so that if other people are reaching out to me in different ways, uh, that that can somehow be caught in a reasonably timely fashion. So my assistant monitors every day all of my various social media channels because occasionally you get things from people even on Facebook or certainly on LinkedIn where people will ask about hiring you for speaking engagements or for consulting engagements and they're putting these messages out to you on social media I might not personally be checking often enough and might miss them but my assistant flags them for me so I'm able to actually respond in a timely fashion and do you communicate with your assistant through what I'll call an internal collaboration hub like Slack, Zoom, Teams, or is still text and email? <laughs> I am I am pretty low tech in the scheme of things. Every day, or I guess technically every night, he sends me a, a daily wrap-up email. And it is kind of a highlights of social media. And so he's taking care of a lot of the things. If I have an article coming out that day, he'll post it for me and things like that. But what he is doing is for any message that either requires me to just be informed about it, so like as an FYI, or ones that require a response, 
uh, he will have this kind of rundown and include links so that I can directly go in and respond to that message. So once a day, I'm able to be apprised of that. And and that all comes through in a single email. Hmm. It reminds me a bit of whether it's the New York Times or some of the other daily newsletters where you can get a sense of what's going on in the world, almost like what's going on in the life of Dory. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, would that type of thing work if you were doing, say, as I know we both published with Harvard Business Review, hashtag name drop, um, would your assistant be involved in that type of thing? Or do you have a separate process when you're dealing with clients after that initial contact? So most generally, you know, because I, I am a solo practitioner, I handle most of the direct client interface. Uh, certainly if they need something small or technical, you know, oh, can you send your headshot or something like that? I'll file that over to my assistant and he'll take care of it or, you know, get giving somebody an address, uh, something like that. There are occasionally projects that I will outsource to him. Uh, for instance, I run an online course in community uh, called the Recognized Expert Course. And one of the, uh, you know, we have about 500 members in it who are fantastic. And one of the, the things that's been kind of a constant challenge to figure out is maintaining a member directory. And we uh, actually have people with some pretty good tech skills who are in it. And one of them had a suggestion about a better way to do it. And so I just kind of outsourced it to my, to my assistant, John, and said, you know what, why don't you talk to Jean-Francois directly and you, you just figure it out. I'm happy with whatever you come up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mentioned that because there's nothing wrong with doing things, what I'll call old school with email attachments, but with 500 people that can't possibly scale. And when you think about teams, Zoom, um, Slack, they all have directories built in. In fact, Slack, I want to say six months ago, acquired a company that did directories much better than what traditional companies have done because they recognize the importance of being able to find people and how challenging that can be if you've got hundreds of people in the same, for lack of a better term, group. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you transfer that model to every other thing or... When you work with some of your clients, do you have to adopt their tools? You mentioned Slack before, and at any given point, I might be using Slack, Teams, and Zoom, which can be a bit confusing, but I can't very well impose my will joining a new group going, well, I do it this way. And I find that there are a lot of potential problems, right? When you take your habits and they conflict with someone else's habits when it comes to something as, in a way, personal as collaboration. Yeah, it's it's true. I always try to be respectful of the people that I'm dealing with. So if they have a kind of institutional preference, I'll I'll do it. Although <laughs> certainly some things work better than others. I had a uh, a prospect call yesterday with a large company that I'm talking about possibly doing a consulting engagement with and they use WebEx and they uh so they sent me the WebEx invite. I can see your smile. And uh and we uh so I'm like great, I'll use WebEx no problem. And so we both logged in and we're both sitting there for like 5 minutes because we <laughs> we both got messages that the other person wasn't there. And we're finally, I ended up calling her on her cell phone. I'm <laughs> just like, okay. So, uh, so, you know, you adapt. Right. I don't want to slam any potential podcast sponsor or vendor, but I will say this. And WebEx has gotten better, but I remember using it 18 years ago and going, this, this can't be that 
difficult, right? But we're still struggling. Um, but in a way, when someone says, well, meet over WebEx, it's kind of like sending an email from an AOL or a MindSpring account. You're kind of dating yourself a little bit. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, but you know, it, every everything evolves. I mean, I serve on the board of a university, and it, it was interesting, actually. I mean, of course, like everyone else, universities have just dived into online learning and online collaboration uh, over the course of the year. And so, originally, our board meetings, um, which had always been in person, they started to have them virtually, and they were being conducted over the platform that actually the students were using. It was like a sort of a, some kind of a you know a teaching platform that I guess they market to colleges. And it was actually very interesting um, for us to get a taste of the dog food. I'm not sure what the um, what the, the current situation is, but after after one or two board meetings, I, I just you know wrote to the chair and I'm like, we literally cannot keep doing this. This is terrible. <laughs> we need to switch to Zoom immediately. Um, so I, I think there's these kind of fancy back ends sometimes, and you know the tool that costs fifteen dollars a month uh, sometimes really does work better. Oh, absolutely. Let's kind of dig into that because I know that when I worked as a college professor, I would often butt heads with folks saying we're using the wrong tool or a deficient tool. But getting people to adopt a new one, even during a pandemic, Dory, wasn't easy. And just because the organization purchases an enterprise Slack or Zoom license doesn't mean that everyone uses it, never mind well. Yeah, absolutely. There there are norms uh, that really need to be culturally established, which is why books like yours, I think, are so valuable. <laughs> Let's hope. Um, I've found that people tend, uh, was it Upton St. Clair? Said uh, a man will fail to understand anything if his salary depends upon it. I mean, in a way, these tools are almost threatening to folks because you'll get no argument from me for certain meetings. Yes, let's have them in person if we can, but we can't always do that. And trying to cram a once a day email from an assistant, if that works for you, great. But if one assistant had to produce 37 emails a day, you'd say, well, wait a minute, to your point from before, is this really the best process? Is there a better tool for it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about business process because one of the interesting things I think with these tools is that they can allow people to do things in a more efficient way, right? I don't have to search an inbox full of 87,000 messages. I can have everything in one place or I can automate so I can have, let's say, if I fill out expense reports, I could tie the app Expensify into Slack through a tool called Zapier. And it doesn't require any code at all. But there are folks who say, well, I just don't want to do that because they're not comfortable with it or they fear change. Um, any tips for getting people to, I mean, it's great that you're willing to use whatever, right? I think it's one of the reasons you're successful. You're not maybe as stubborn as I am. But to your point, when you had the discussion, we can't keep doing it this way. You know, I don't have a secret sauce for getting people to change how they do things because they've been successful, right, for 20 or 30 years. And all of a sudden you come along and go, well, there's a better way. And that I, I find can get really contentious really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as with almost anything in, you know, change management, I say in air quotes, um, there's there's a couple of ways to think about it. I mean, the first is if you're in, an organization and you you essentially have control over people there 
there are certain things, you know, in, in general, of course, I'm, I'm a big fan of collaborative leadership, but there are certain things where you just need to be a dictator. And I think uh, the way in which communication happens actually is, is probably one of those instances because you cannot afford to have a situation if you are running a team of, you know, not just a hundred or a thousand people, but even if you're running a team of 10 people, you can't, you can't countenance a system where people are missing things because, oh, well, I don't check my texts or, oh, what Slack? I don't even have a Slack account. Like that's, that's no good at all. And I think that you might need to enforce something by fiat. If you are a solo practitioner and it kind of, you know, you can do what you want, then I, th- I would take a much more libertarian attitude. Like if you want to waste time, well, God bless. It's your time. You know, okay. You want to, you want to be inefficient. That's fine. I also think we have to recognize that there are, there are legitimate trade-offs. Like if, if something is actually a, a problem that is sufficiently problematic that you notice it and it creates a pain point for you, you're probably going to be motivated to fix it. Um, but if it actually is a kind of, it may actually be inefficient and there's a marginal return um, on, but, but, you know, there's sort of a marginal return on fixing it. The cognitive load of learning how to do it a new way, you might not be wrong that it's not worth you doing. So I, I feel like, you know, hey, why not? Right. Well, there's a difference between a discrete transaction. If I want to hire you for a speaking gig, right? there's some back and forth, but eventually, back when there were speaking gigs, uh, <laughs> yeah, the gig ends. Um, however, let's take one of your executive education classes, right? That's going to be a relationship with student for, I would imagine, at least a month, if not a semester, if not potentially longer, if they come back. So would you use a different tool in that scenario? I can't imagine you manage your students via email. So technically, actually, the way that I do my teaching, I do a couple of courses per year for the Fuqua School of Business at Duke, and uh, they're they're actually pretty short and discreet. Um, now, of course, they're being offered virtually, but it's kind of a similar thing. When they were in person, it was three days in person. Now it's four days uh, in a row virtually. So it's kind of kind of a week of people's time. So it's it's not necessarily the the long the super long duration. Um, so actually, you raise a good uh, point about this in terms of cognitive load. So basically, twice a year, uh, there's, you know, when I offer these courses, there's kind of this uh, moment of of interface. And there is a software that Fuqua has. It's a new software. I'm pretty sure they had a different one. You know, this is this is one of the things that sort of <laughs> diminishes organizational trust, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, learn this. Oh, now we have a new thing. Learn that. And so uh, and, until I feel convinced it's going to stick, what I actually literally told the executive ed team is, uh, <laughs> this is my version of being a prima donna. I said, I'm going to mail you the syllabus. I, would, uh, I, I cannot presently handle the cognitive load of learning how to deal with this thing you want me to do. So can you please upload it? Thanks. <laughs> so because there's there's literally not anything else that one needs to do with this app. Like the the engagement with the students all happens over Zoom. So um so yeah, I didn't necessarily think for for the the very limited functionality that I would need of like uploading things, I didn't think I necessarily needed to learn how to use that new tool. As I listen to you talk about handling different situations differently, I think about tennis. I don't know if you've ever played. A little, yeah. Okay. 
So one of my instructors once told me that every shot is contextual. If you're up five love, 40 love, and want to try some crazy shot, hey, go with God. That's a lot different if it's three to three in the third set at deuce, right? Or where you are in the court at different times. So you don't really take a one size fits all approach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about picking a lane. I completely agree with you, right? If you've got segments of the organization using tool A and segments using tool B, and it can even be something like Zoom or WebEx, right? Let's say, and I know this exists, you've got organizations out there that use both tools, right? Because of the whole software as a service business model, it's not like you need to write $2 million check for an enterprise license and go through centralized IT. That can result in conflict, right? Because, well, I want to use, in this simple example, WebEx, and I want to use Zoom. And how do you know, if, if you report to me, well, then the lines of um, uh, demarcation are pretty clear. But what if we're peers? Yeah, it's, well, it's not dissimilar, Phil, to dating in New York City, right? It's, uh, it's kind of, you know, I, I um, knew somebody once who, in order to make the first date screening process easy and standardized, she had this bar, again, pre-COVID, she had this bar that was near her house and she had decided this was a good bar for first dates. I guess, you know, it's not so crowded, not so loud, whatever. And it was like two blocks from her house. And so whenever she would set up a first date with someone, she'd be like, hey, how about we go to blah, blah, blah. And it turns out like that was always the place she suggested. And so it was kind of standardizing that process. So that's one way of doing it. Um, and, you know, most people were were pretty willing to accede to her will. But if you really want to telegraph interest or if you really want to, you know, show, oh, I'm such a flexible person, what you would probably say is like, oh, well, Phil, I'm happy to come to you. What's your neighborhood here? Oh, yeah, I'll go up to the Upper East Side. No problem. Right. Um, so so I think it it is kind of like what what message do you want to send and uh, and how how are you sort of flexing your your display in terms of uh, your your willingness to adapt technologically. Yeah, I often think about the ways that I've handled potential collaborations, what's gone well and what hasn't. And we all have horror stories. There were a couple of times in which I think I might've been a little too eager to say, hey, here's my scheduling tool, which to me is incredibly simple. But there's some folks, maybe it's that cognitive load issue that you mentioned before, don't even want to take the time to look at it, even though I can't get my head around the fact that it is just clicking a button, entering your name, schedule sync, we're good to go versus six emails back and forth. But some people will fight me on that. And I struggle with how much, to your point, I should be flexible and go, yeah, or whatever versus it's 2020, damn it. I will not go back and forth with 15 emails about no Thursday at four. No. How about Saturday at seven? No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and to the point of context, I mean, you know, if it was like your grandpa, you know, you'd probably be like, okay, grandpa, what, yeah, when do you want to do it? You know, like you just, I, I, but yes, for, for a casual person, I, I think a thing that we don't really like to talk about very often in, uh, in the corporate world, cause it, you know, it sort of sounds, sounds Machiavellian or something, but in every, in every encounter, there are power dynamics. And it's a question of like, well, who, who's, you know, kind of higher in the hierarchy and also who, who needs something, you know, who's the person requesting the meeting? Like if I'm saying, Oh, Phil, can we please meet? And then I'm not willing to use your tool. Well, that's kind of a dick move. So I I think, you know, you have to understand uh, in any given encounter, what is the sort of absolute 
power, I say in air quotes, and then what is the relative uh, power in terms of who who's making the request and who needs something in the moment? I completely agree. And I'm reminded of for Zoom for Dummies, I reached out to an acquaintance of mine and said, hey, would you like to contribute a sidebar to the book? And my book was already running in 110,000 words, pushing the page count. And I said, you know, here's a Google Doc, here's a, a PDF that you need to sign. I put it in Dropbox, here's a link. And immediately, whoa, I don't use these tools. And I think to myself, okay, do I really need this contribution to the book? Answer, no. Now, if it were someone I'd known better or an absolute rock star like the CEO of Slack who want, or Zoom in this case, um, Eric One, writing the forward to the book, to your point, I accede to that person's demands. But the way I looked at it, I guess he was doing me a favor, but also vice versa. And the opportunity to be in a dummies book with attribution, I thought, and it wasn't like I was saying, oh, and by the way, can you learn a programming language like Python? It was just, hey, you know, here's my process. I got a million things going on. If you'd like to be in this, please contribute. And ultimately, it didn't wind up working out, but he didn't actually make a great impression. And there was this subtle power dynamic of who's doing the favor for whom. Right, exactly. Yeah. Good stuff, Dory. I'll get you out here on this. What book are you currently reading? Oh, yes. I am currently reading Traffic Secrets by Russell Brunson. Hmm. I, I have. It is about, uh, so it's, it's about uh, like online traffic and Facebook ads and things like that. Oh, one I heard of that one. I thought you meant actual traffic. Yes, I I like that too. I'm a big fan of urban planning, but uh, sadly, Russell Brunson does not have expertise in that. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, I've been doing as I was mentioning earlier with my recognized expert community since 2014. I've I've been involved in creating various online courses, and I have almost always marketed it sort of organically to my community, to my email list. But in the past year, I've started to explore more about um, paid advertising and online advertising. So it's it's an area that uh, just is kind of one of my side bets I'm trying to, to learn more about. Uh, so trying to educate myself. You and people who like to educate yourselves. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Dory, I really enjoyed it. You stay safe. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However... If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.